We're going to continue the, the sermon series that we've been in. We've been looking at the early church after the resurrection and, and Jesus ascending back to heaven. These stories that we've been reading are interesting because they show us how God continues his work through the church. Even though Jesus is no longer bodily present with us, God's work continues. And we're seeing how God is working in the early church, and that gives us insight into how God wants to work in our church today. Last week, we read about the first Christian to be killed because of his faith. That was Stephen. Today, the story picks up right after it left off last week. There's no gap at all between what we saw last week and where we pick up today. So beginning in verse 1 of Acts chapter 8, this is what Luke tells us. And Saul approved of Stephen's execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church. And entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. This is the word of the Lord for us today. Blessed are those who hear it and obey it. Let's set the story up just for a second before we get into some of the things that we learn from what we read in this passage. The church is still very young. Their, their memory of Jesus is very close. We don't know exactly the time frame, but there isn't a great time lag between when Jesus ascended and what we're seeing today. The church is already being persecuted for their witness about Christ. And it is that persecution that sets the background for everything that we read. If you don't understand the persecution that's taking place, you won't understand what they're doing and what God is accomplishing. This was not a time of peace and comfort. It was a difficult time of adversity. So bad was the persecution that the early Christians were leaving their homes, moving out of the area, running for their lives. And in the context of this persecution and the problems that they were going through, we see four things. Jot these four things down because they will be instrumental in helping you as you live out your daily Christian life. The first thing I want us to see this morning in this story is the obedience of the early Christians. Look at verse 4. 
Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word, Luke tells us. One of the last things Jesus told his followers before he ascended back to heaven was, go and preach the gospel. Preach the message of Christ. But there's an interesting question that comes up out of this story and even what we saw in last week's lesson. The church is just starting out. Why isn't God protecting them? Stephen, last week, is killed. The Christians today, in chapter 8, are being driven from their homes. Why isn't God helping them? Why is He allowing this to happen? Now, we're going to see the answer to the why in a minute. So hold that thought. But the point I want us to see right now is, our obedience to Christ is not based on us understanding what God is doing. Are you with me? How many times do we have questions about what God is doing and why He's allowing things in our lives? We don't have to have answers to all of our questions before we can be obedient to God. The question of why God is allowing this persecution may be a good question to ask. But do you have to know everything before you obey? How many of us are like children? You tell your kids, why? Because I told you so, that's why. Right? How many of us are like children when it comes to God? We don't obey until we understand, until we have all the answers to our questions. I can see the early Christians saying something like this. At least I can see it because that's probably what I would be doing. Well, well, if God's not going to protect me, why should I be obedient to Him? What's in it for me? If God isn't going to take care of my family, if God's not going to take care of, of me, why should I go out there and tell other people about Jesus? And don't forget, it's precisely because they're telling people about Jesus that they're being persecuted. One of the first things I would do is, in my mind, I'd say, well, gee, if if all of this preaching about Christ is just getting me into trouble, maybe I'll stop preaching about Christ. We can solve that problem right away, can't we? But they don't. They keep preaching the message of Christ, not because it was working out so well for them. They kept preaching because they were commanded to do it. And they were being obedient. They continued to do the very thing that was getting them into trouble. And the message for us today, the lesson we want to learn is, we can be obedient even when it costs us. Even when it's difficult. Our obedience to God is not to be tied to our understanding of what God is doing and why He's allowing these things to happen in our lives. Our obedience is not conditioned upon God doing what we want. We can be obedient, we should be obedient, even when things aren't going the way that we think they should. Because we are to be obedient 
because we're commanded to be obedient. Period. We're to preach the gospel even when it costs us. Tough times are no excuse for disobedience. But how many of us will hide behind the tough times in our lives and use that as an excuse? Well, I can't do this because. I know God wants me to, but. Obedience is critical for the Christian life. We've made it a back burner issue rather than one of our primary responsibilities. If we're going to follow Christ, then we need to be obedient. There's a second way in which we see this obedience in the story, though. In verse 5, we're told that Philip went down to Samaria. Now, down in a geographical sense, because Jerusalem sits high on a mountain, they actually went north. We and we're in our country to go down is to go south. <laughs> he went north, but he came down the mountain. And he went to Samaria to preach the gospel. On the surface, that doesn't seem like a big deal to us. We just talked about how they were obedient in spreading the word. But the Samaria part is huge. The Jews and the Samaritans, to put it mildly, hated one another. Even though they shared some ancestry, they split hundreds of years before this, and the racial animosity was huge. Jews would refer to Samaritans as pigs. They hated them. Didn't want to have anything to do with it. Jesus, though, told his disciples that they were going to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. And then in Acts chapter 1, we saw this, remember? Jesus specifically said, and you will be witnesses in Samaria. And so what do we see here? What do we see in chapter 8? We see Philip doing exactly what Jesus said they would do. Be witnesses in Samaria. They cross that racial divide. They cross that division between Jew and Samaritan to take the gospel to them. How many of you have been watching with interest the events of the last six months in America and the racial problems that we're having? Have you begun to pick up on the fact that we're moving in the wrong direction? After making generations of progress, we're moving in the wrong direction now. And we're seeing more and more racial divide in our country. And that's unfortunate. But how does that relate to what we've been talking about in this story? It relates to what we've been talking about because how many of us are reluctant to cross our racial divides to take the gospel to people of other cultures, of other nationalities? Set aside all the politics just the advance of the gospel. For it to go out, we can't just share the gospel among people just like us. And again, the way my mind works, if I was part of the early church, I would have been tempted to say, well, what have the Samaritans done for me? We tend to isolate ourselves among people that are like us. 
racially, economically, politically. And unfortunately, we're seeing more and more racism today, even in the church. Yet how many of us today will claim that we're not racists? What are you doing to take the gospel to people of other races? It's one thing to say you're not a racist. It's another thing to demonstrate it. Because the cross of Christ, someone said, is long enough to bridge any racial divide. Do you believe that today? If we're going to be obedient to Christ, we've got to be obedient and take the gospel not just to people who are like us, but to everyone. Especially people who are not like us. Did you hear me? Especially people who are not like us. Because if the gospel does not cause us to break down our racial divisions, it's not good news. We see the obedience of the early church in that they were spreading the gospel, but they didn't just spread it amongst themselves. They crossed the racial barriers. Not only, though, do we see the obedience of the early church, in this story, we see the power of God. When we start having problems in our lives, one of the first questions we ask is, why is God allowing this? But the second question we often ask is, where's God? In the face of our problems, if God was really here, He wouldn't be allowing this to happen. Where's God? As we read through this story, though, we see where God is. Just because God isn't helping them the way that they think He ought to, doesn't mean God is gone. Because we see the power of God in this story. Where do we see the power of God? We see the power of God in the lives of His people as they go out and spread the gospel. Jesus even said in Acts 1.8, you will receive what? Power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And as they go out, what do we see? We see power. They're not hiding in fear. They're spreading the word. God doesn't demonstrate his power by stepping in and stopping every problem in our lives. He doesn't stop the persecution of the early church. God demonstrates His power by giving them the strength to get through the persecution, even as they remain faithful to Him and continue to preach the gospel. Several times in the book of Acts, we see God speaking to His people, and He specifically tells them to, to keep going. He encourages them to keep being faithful, assuring them that He would be with them. And God gives us the power today to face our struggles. How many of you have felt the power of God the most when you were going through a difficult time in your life? You know what I'm talking about? God is always with us. God isn't with us more at some times than other times, but boy, we sure feel God's presence more when we're going through a tough time, don't we? And it's that strength that we get from God that gives us the power that we need to continue even in the face of adversity. Now I want you to see how this plays out. Keep your finger there in chapter 8. Flip back to chapter 4 for just a second. 
chapter 4, verse 29. As the people were praying, this is what they prayed in verse 29 of chapter 4. They say, now, Lord, consider their threats, the people who were persecuting them in chapter 4. Consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Did you see that? In the midst of their persecution, they don't ask God for the persecution to stop. They said, God, give us more boldness. That wouldn't be me. I'd have been praying, God, make them stop. Make them be nice to me. Because you know I'm a nice guy, now you make them be nice to me. They don't. They said, God, we want you to consider what they're doing and give us more strength. Give us more boldness to continue to speak your word. What I see in this passage is how much different they are from us. How different their prayer is from our prayer. But our prayer ought not to be today that God would make our life easier. Our prayer ought to be that God would give us the strength to keep going. And how do we keep going in the face of persecution, in the face of problems in our lives? By remembering the third thing that we see in our story today. We see their obedience, we see the power of God, but we also see the providence of God. What does providence mean? Providence is one of those big theological words that simply means that God has the power, the knowledge, and the love to do what's best. And we have demonstrated, we've seen God demonstrate His providence in our lives because He has provided for us oftentimes at just the time we needed it. God provides protection for us, provision for us. God is working all around us through His loving power demonstrating His providence. Well, how do we see that in this story today? How do we see God's providence at work even in the midst of the persecution that the Christians were going through? Well, what we're told in this passage is that as the Christians were being driven out, they continued to share the gospel. Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And then, what do we see? As the Christians are being driven out of the promised land, they're being driven into the rest of the world, into that region, and they continue to spread the gospel. God was using this persecution to get the Christians out of their comfort zone. To get them moving with the word of God. God allows Satan to persecute his people to get them moving. You see, God doesn't just give us the power to handle the problems in life. God positions us exactly where he wants us to be. And the way that God positions us is often through adversity. It's through problems. It's through trials. How many of you have lost a job that you just loved? And you just thought, oh, this is the end of the world. I've lost my job. And then God moved you to another job that was even better. 
And you never would have gotten that better job if God hadn't caused you to lose the first job. Because you would have stayed there forever. Because you loved it. But God positions us to a point that's even better. Paul even understood this though. In Philippians, he actually thanks God and praises God because he's in prison. And you're like, Paul, maybe you need to up your medication here just a little bit. Because how can anybody thank God for being in prison? But Paul says, God is using my imprisonment to advance the gospel. Because do you know what that knucklehead was doing while he was in prison? He was witnessing to the guards. Now in that day, we see in the story that's told, they would actually shackle Paul to a guard. And, and they shackled Paul to the guard to keep Paul from getting away. And Paul's like, oh, no, 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 that's not how it works. This is keeping the guard from getting away. And so they would probably do four, six-hour shifts, something like that. They'd shackle Paul to a guard, and Paul would start witnessing to him. And six hours later, four hours later, they'd disconnect and put another guard there. And Paul's like, here we go. <laughs> go right back to the first spiritual law. He's going to go through. Every time they put a new guard there, he just starts witnessing to him all over again. And he said, this is a great thing. He said, I've got a captive audience. Literally. Right? And at some point, you begin to wonder if the guards weren't thinking, who's really in prison here? Him or us? Paul understood that God had positioned him right where he wanted him to be. The fourth thing I want us to see this morning is joy. Obedience, the power of God, the providence of God, and then finally, joy. We're told that Philip went down to Samaria and started preaching the gospel and demonstrating the power of God and people were being healed. And in the context of that, we're told specifically in verse 8 that there was much joy when they received the gospel. Now I need to say a word this morning about some of us as Christians who struggle with joy. How many of us talk a good game about being Christians, but we don't have a lot of joy in our lives? There's an interesting connection, though, isn't there, between having Christ in our lives and having joy? Think about it. There's too many Christians today who seem to either be in a bad mood or a sad mood all the time. They look like they eat pickles for breakfast. Just always cranky. Right? You ever meet those people and, and you can't even say to them, you must have got up on the wrong side of the bed because they only have one side. I'm like, move the bed away from the wall and get out on the other side. Because, man, this is not working. Some people are just always down. Always upset about something. But when we are born again, when we come to a faith relationship with Christ, one of the results is joy. And if you don't have joy in your life, 
You need to check what's going on inside. Why don't you have that joy today? But today, too many of us have made joy the driving force in our lives. Chasing after happiness, chasing after joy. But we've missed a key aspect of joy. Joy is not to be the driving force in our life, always looking for happiness, always looking for joy. Joy is actually a byproduct of chasing after the right things, living the right way. Our joy is not to be our goal. Our joy comes from bringing other people to faith in Christ. Jesus put it this way, whoever loses his life, finds it. Whoever tries to save his life is going to lose it. This doesn't need any proof to know it's true because Jesus said it. But what the heck, it's Mother's Day, so why don't I bring in a mother's illustration just to make the point. All right? Nobody illustrates the truth that giving your life away brings joy better than mothers. You ever watch mothers? They give and give and give. They'll give the last piece of pie away to one of their kids, won't they? And when you look at a mother who's sacrificing, she doesn't just give you the impression that she's enjoying it. She really is enjoying it. Mothers get the most joy in life by giving things up for their kids. They want to. Not because they're reading the, the book, The Joy of Motherhood, that says, you know, you better give to your kids. No, they do it because they want to. They truly love their children, and they get life, they get joy by being giving. But the same is supposed to be true for all of us. That we are to find joy in life by giving life to others. In John's Gospel, Jesus affirms that life is both sorrow and joy. Life is not always good or always bad. It's a mixture of both. And we need to learn how to handle the joy and the sorrows of life. Learning how to handle both is vital. Some people can't handle sorrow. Many times, alcoholics and drug addicts will relapse because they're going through a tough time in their life. But I also know many people who can't handle joy either. That's when they get into trouble. Can't handle the, the ups of life any better than they can handle the downs of life. It's too many people self-destruct when things aren't going the way they want. Look at the people in our lives who are chasing after joy and they just can't find it. They'll chase joy with this person. If that doesn't work out, then they just chase after a different person. Chasing after a different job. Chasing after a different house. Always thinking, if I find this next whatever, I'll have joy. Joy is not found in chasing after relationships. Joy is found in giving our lives to others. Giving up 
so that others might have. Does it give you joy today to spread the gospel? Does it give you joy to cross different divides? To reach out to people who are different from you? People who may not even like you? I went to the jail a couple of weeks ago and I was talking about how we're to give our lives and I was teaching this radical principle that we're to love our enemies in jail. And this guy looked at me and and he, he wanted to argue. He heard what I was saying, but he, he was having trouble getting his mind wrapped around loving your enemies. And he said, well, well, if you do that, you'll get killed. And I said, and your point is? Isn't that what they did to Jesus? Another guy was there and he says, he said, well, if you're nice to people, he said, then they'll stop being your enemies and they'll be your friend. And I said, yeah, that worked so well for Jesus, didn't it? He was nice to everybody and they killed him. We don't find joy by manipulating people by being nice to them so that they'll be nice to us. We find joy by giving our lives for people who hate us. By spreading the gospel to people who don't want to hear the gospel. God gives us joy because we're being obedient. But I want to put a finer point on this before we close. From our perspective, these poor Christians were being driven from their homes. Their lives were being completely disrupted by this persecution. But look again at verse 1, the second part of verse 1 in chapter 8. Luke says, They were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. That word scattered there is literally the word that was used when a farmer would scatter seeds. From God's perspective, these Christians were being sown in the field. From our perspective, we say they're being driven out. It's like the fist of Satan is coming crashing down on them and sending them splattering in every direction. What a mess! But it wasn't a chaotic mess. It was the plan of God to sow His people where He wanted them. Worship God this morning because in His providence, He can move us where He wants us to be for His glory and for His kingdom. Stick with me. How many of us Continue to pray that God would get us out of the situation where we find ourselves. God, get me out of this problem. Make my life better. Make my life easier. How are you being scattered by God today? Think about it. 
That which you're running away from, that which you're praying that God would take out of your life, may be the very thing that God wants to use to scatter you exactly where He wants you to be. When we read about this God in the book of Acts, let me remind you, this is the same God that we worship today. He hasn't changed. God is still at work through the church even now. We can trust God's power that He is putting us exactly where He wants us to be. Now let me put an even finer point on this fine point. How many of us are thinking, okay, okay, I need to resign myself to be where God wants me to be. I just need to accept it. No. It's not about accepting with resignation. Oh, well, I guess this is where God wants me to be. If He wants to scatter me here, then I guess I'll go along with it. No. The point we learn from this lesson today is that we don't accept God's scattering. We welcome it. We pray for it. God, scatter me. God, spread me where you want me to be. And if that comes through persecution, if that comes through problems, then God, bring it. Because I want to be scattered for you. 